Um, before I went to seminary, uh, I, I did two years of an um, undergraduate degree at Trinity Western University, uh, a biblical studies major. And so if you know anything about Trinity, Trinity is a liberal arts college is what they call it. And so when you take a degree, so a biblical studies degree, you still have to take just other random courses to get your degree. And so I, I loved anything like Theology 101 and Bible. It was just amazing. But then because of the way the school runs, I had to take classes like um, Psychology 101 and English 101. And fine arts, just like useless stuff, right? <laughs> Sorry if you, I have a degree in psychology. Uh, but I just hated those classes. And so what I would do, and if you've been to university, I know that you've done this too. You would have your morning classes. And so then I would have my pad of paper, because we didn't have computers back then, everybody. And I would have my pad of paper, and I would sit like this with my pen and pretend that I was taking notes. But I would be fast asleep. And I was convinced that I had fooled my professor. But looking back, I'm like, the professor obviously knew that I was sleeping. But you would just kind of sit like this through the boring classes. But there is one phrase that would perk your ears up. And if you've been to university, if the professor says this one phrase, you're like, I, I got to uh, pay attention. This will be on the exam. Right? If you've been to university or college, you know that's when you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta pay attention to this uh, because you don't wanna fail your exam at the end. And sometimes even some professors would have a class before the exam, which was just like an exam review class. And they would tell you, here's all the things that are gonna be on the exam. That class was always the fullest. Everyone would show up to that last class because I wanna know what's on the exam. I don't wanna fail. So we've been studying 1 Corinthians for three chapters, and at the end of chapter three, it's kind of like Paul saying, hey, listen, this is going to be on the exam, right? What he does at the end of chapter three is he basically summarizes everything that he's laid out for the Corinthian church in the first three chapters. And so if you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians 3 and we're going to look at verses 18 to 23, just those short five verses at the end. But what Paul does is he summarizes everything he said by, by giving two imperatives, two uh, commands, two things that they really, really need to pay attention to. So he's going to say these two things. Let no one deceive himself, and then let no one boast in men. And so what we want to do is just unpack each one of those imperatives that Paul gives and then just show how that relates to everything that we've studied in the last five weeks together in this book. So 1 Corinthians 3, we'll start reading in verse 18. Paul says this, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So first summary statement that Paul gives. He says, let no one deceive himself. Now, if you remember, if you've been studying with us, one of the main issues going on in Corinth um, that was causing all of these divisions and uh, jealousy and strife and, and people were forming teams. One of, the, one of the main reasons was the Christians in the Corinthian church were self-deceived when it came to what their view of wisdom was. 
um, it's interesting. The word deceive in the Greek language that's used here, it means to seduce. So it, it's like they were being seduced by the world's view of wisdom. It's the same root word that is actually used in Genesis 3 that says that Eve was deceived by the serpent. Um, she was seduced. She was led astray by the serpent. But here's where it's so sad is that the difference is who was the one seducing and deceiving the Corinthian Christians? It was them. They were deceiving themselves. Right? They, they couldn't say, oh, well, Paul, we didn't know. It's, our, it's not our fault. So-and-so was deceiving us. No, they were doing it to themselves. They were self-deceived. And so Paul, Paul goes into what he means, right? Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So that's the root problem. The Corinthians believed that they were wise according to this age. They were just in love with the wisdom of the world, they, they really didn't see that it was dishonoring to God to, to quarrel and divide and fight and elevate human speakers who had great logic and wisdom and rhetoric. They just thought, well, that's wisdom. That's what you do. That's what worldly wisdom looks like. So we're wise, Paul. We're just acting like all of the wise people in the world. So Paul says, if you, if you think you're wise in this age, you actually have to become a fool so that you will be wise. And then in verse 19, he says, this is why. The wisdom of this world is folly with God. It's foolishness. It's silliness to God. Now, this is why I, just Paul is so, so brilliant as he writes. He's restating the same thing that he already has, but he's restating it from God's perspective. Right? We've been told already that the wisdom of God looks like foolishness to the world, right? He says the, the cross, the wisdom of God, the world looks at that and they go, that's just foolishness. So now Paul says the same thing, but from the opposite perspective. He says now that the, uh, the wisdom of the world is actually foolishness when God looks at it. And he quotes um, two Old Testament examples. He says uh, he catches uh, the wise in, the, in their craftiness, that's from Job 5, verses 12 and 13. And then he, he quotes, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're, they're futile, they're, they're foolishness. That's from Psalm 94. So it's like the world has their idea of what wisdom and power and might looks like, and God just looks at that and laughs at it. Have you, have you ever pictured God laughing at and mocking the wisdom of the world? Because he does. I'll give you some examples. Psalm 2. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their, their cords from us. So here's the picture. The world is gathering together and the smartest, brightest, most powerful people are like, We can do this. We can overthrow God. We don't need him. We've got our wise plans. What does it say? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He mocks them. He goes, oh, really? You guys are planning some grand scheme? <laughs> That's what God does at our wisdom. It's just foolishness to him. Psalm 37, the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. Psalm 58, but you, O Lord, laugh at them. 
You hold all the nations in derision. The, the wisdom of the world, what the best wisdom that the world can muster up, God just looks at it and laughs. It's foolishness to him. So what is Paul getting at? Corlin, do you want to go grab the whiteboard? We have our lovely assistant uh, this morning. So what Paul is getting at is he's talking about us being deceived by wisdom from this age, the world's wisdom. And he's, he's warning us not to get sucked into that. Wow. Thank you. This is great. All right. I'm going to draw something to just kind of help illustrate what Paul is getting. Is that good for the camera, Harlan? We're good? A little bit more? A little bit more? Okay. Um, okay. So uh, the Bible talks about uh, two ages. Okay? So the Bible, you'll, as you read the Bible, uh, if you can imagine... Uh, the Bible talks about the age to come. Um, and this would be the new heavens, the new earth, when uh, the presence of sin is gone and we dwell with God forever. And read the end of Revelation, right? The age to come. That's th- that often is what the Bible talks about. The, the Bible also talks about a second age, which is um, this present age. Or sometimes it talks about uh, this present evil age. If you notice in one of the songs we sang, it says, when the age of death is done. It's talking about this present age. Uh, This age that is evil and there's death and there's wickedness. Now, when Jesus came, right, he inaugurated, he began the age to come. He said the kingdom of God is here, right? He started it. He, He brought it to earth. And when Jesus returns, then this present evil age, the, the, the age of death, this age that we're living in, it will be done. It'll be finished. And we will live in the age to come forever with Jesus. You and I currently live in this area. We live in between these two, these two ages. We're not yet in the age to come, although it's began, Jesus started it, and yet we're still living in, in this present evil age. We're in this kind of middle, not there, but we're there already, but not yet age. So here's what Paul's getting at. He'll, he'll say this so many times in Scripture. He'll say, if you're a follower of Jesus, you belong to the age to come. You're a citizen of this age, right? So let me give you some examples. Colossians 1, Paul says, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, right? He's transferred us. You, you used to be a citizen of this present evil age, but because of the grace of God and you trusted in Jesus, he's transferred you to the age to come, to his kingdom, This is why Paul says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world or this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't, listen, Jesus transferred you to a new kingdom. Don't be conformed to this age. Be transformed. I mean, that's why in 1 Peter 2, what does Peter call us? We're exiles, We're sojourners. We are alien citizens in this present age, right? Our citizenship is in the age to come. 
And so as citizens of the age to come, what was happening in the Corinthian church? We've been saved by the Holy Spirit. We're in a new kingdom. Yet, mm, I still want to live by the wisdom of this present age. And Paul is saying, well, it doesn't actually work like that. Um, You belong to a new kingdom. Your citizenship is in a different country, and so as citizens of the age to come, we're actually supposed to look different. We're supposed to stick out from people who live and belong to this present age. There's supposed to be changes and noticeable differences as we live as strangers and aliens in this present age. So a few years ago, um, we went to Zambia, uh, a group from this church, and uh, we went on a missions trip to, to Zambia. And this, this principle is illustrated even in our just normal day-to-day lives. If you have ever been to a different country and you spent, you know, any amount of time there, you will stick out because you don't know the customs and the, and the traditions and the things that that country does. They'll go, you're clearly not from here. Right, so when we went to Zambia, the first big thing is that we were white, and there's just not a whole lot of white people in Zambia, and everywhere we would drive or walk, people would shout out, Mzungu, Mzungu, you know what that means? White person, and we would be like, yep, and Debbie would shout back at them because she's feisty. No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> uh, but that, that was the first thing, and then there was just cultural differences. When you wave at someone in Zambia, you're saying to them, come over here. You're not just saying, oh, hey. You're saying, come over here. So there was a few times when we would wave and someone across the street would be like, Meet, and then they would run across the street. We're like, nope, sorry, I was just saying hi. Um, even our church services, um, we, uh, we were asked to, to sing a song, and so we sang 10,000 Reasons was one of the songs. And just we just don't have like the rhythm that they do, and it's just syncopated beats. And I'm sure they were like, this sounds like a funeral song. It's just like very straightforward. And then when they sing, they dance, and they have beat and rhythm, and we're all just like, we don't, we stick out, right? Um, There was a church service that I was asked to preach at, and it went on for over an hour, and then it was my turn, and I gave like a solid 40-minute sermon uh, on the Beatitudes, and I was done, and the, the, the feeling in, the, in this church was like, that's it? So don't ever complain that my sermons are long, okay? <laughs> but they were like, they're used to, hey, keep going, brother. Preach an hour. Preach 90 minutes, right? And so they could just tell, if, if we walked around Zambia, you could just go, yeah, they're not from here. They stick out. They're different. They don't understand our customs. That's what Paul's saying, If you're a follower of Jesus, you should stick out in this present age. People should go, you're not from here, are you? You act differently. You have different values and customs and things that you hold in high regard. You must be from a different country. Like, what's so different about you? That's what Paul's getting at. You belong to a different kingdom. Now, here's what self-deception is. Paul warns us, let no one deceive himself. Self-deception is thinking that you can be a citizen of the kingdom of God while pursuing the wisdom of this world. That's what it means to be self-deceived, to say, you know what, I can be a Christian, and yet I can still live like everybody else who's not a Christian. Here's what it comes down to. You will either be wise in the world's eyes and a fool in God's eyes, or you'll be a, a fool 
in the world's eyes and wise in God's eyes. But you cannot be both. And to try and be wise in the world's eyes and wise in God's eyes is to deceive yourself. And so Paul, is, he's summing up everything that he's talked about, about wisdom and God's wisdom and the world's wisdom by saying, just don't, don't try and do both. You're, you're deceiving yourself. God's people must abandon confidence in the securities of this present age. We have to say, you know what? I would rather look like a fool in the world's eyes and yet be wise in God's eyes. I mean, I thought of some examples of how we try and do both because we do this all the time. I mean, if you remember a few sermons ago, we talked about how those six ways that we try and just live by the world's wisdom. But as I, 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 I thought about our present day, um, we do this primarily. Churches have fallen into this when it comes to sexuality. I'm going to live in the kingdom of God, and yet I'm going to adopt this present evil age's sexual ethic. I'm going to try and have both. So you know what? Homosexuality, not a big deal. Let's just embrace it. It's foolishness in God's eyes. The world will go, yes, you're so wise. Welcome to the team. But you can't have both. Right? You think about our world. How many genders are there? Are there two or are there 157? The world's wisdom would say, you think there's only male and female? You're an idiot. And yet, God laughs at the world's wisdom. And he goes, no, I made them male and female. Um, sex before marriage, right? The world would go, you're crazy. You are crazy to wait until you're in a covenant marriage with a spouse to engage in that. And yet God looks at the world's wisdom and he laughs at it. So I think what Paul is getting at as he summarizes, right, this is on the exam, pay attention, this is the summary of everything that I've said so far, he would say, it is much better to be a fool in the world's eyes and wise in God's eyes. Don't deceive yourself. You can't be both. Here's the second imperative that Paul gives, verse 21, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ's is God's. So the, the second imperative, Paul says, let no one boast in men. Um, this, again, was a massive part of the problem in the Corinthian church, right? The first problem is that they were deceiving themselves when it came to wisdom. And then the second problem is, what were they doing? They were boasting in men. As they pursued worldly wisdom, they were elevating their favorite celebrity preachers that they had. And I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and I follow Cephas. And they were just boasting in the, the men that they followed. And when, when you really boil it down, it's essentially pride and arrogance, in your own point of view, right? When you boast in something, you're just displaying pride and arrogance in your point of view. I follow Paul, and what they're saying is, I'm way smarter than you because you just follow Cephas and Apollos. Paul's way better. Therefore, I'm better, right? So it's, it's pride when you boil it down. And so we've, we've talked about this in these past weeks. I mean, we boast about all sorts of things that leads to divisions. Uh, we boast about our politics, we boast about how we raise our kids. 
We boast about the style of worship that we like and just on and on and on. We just boast about everything and we, and we think that it's our, our way is better. So how do you combat that? How do you combat pride and arrogance and boasting in all of these other things? And Paul's way of combating it is just so brilliant. Paul says, hey, everything's yours. It seems counterintuitive because then we would go, Paul, but now they're going to boast in everything. Right? Don't tell them that everything is theirs. But that's what he goes. He goes, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or future, guys, everything belongs to you. Everything's yours and you are Christ's. You belong to Jesus. So what Paul is doing is he's stressing that all of the blessings of God in the universe are yours. If you belong to the, if you're a part of the redeemed church, then you are unbelievably blessed. So why on earth would you boast about Paul? (laughs) Why would you boast about Apollos? They're just servants for your benefit. Why would you boast in them? You get everything. Ephesians 1, if you just listen to these blessings that Paul says, in him, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we, the church, you, have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I mean, just benefit after benefit after benefit, blessing after blessing after blessing. And it's like Paul is saying, you're focusing and you're boasting on such small, silly things when everything belongs to you. All of it. All of these teachers, Paul, Apollos, uh, Cephas, all of them are just gifts to you for your benefit and your growth. Life or death, Like, think about it. The follower of Jesus, you live life now with the Spirit of God dwelling in you, and death, right, the great enemy of mankind, death, we just laugh at death. It means nothing to us now. I'm going to die tomorrow? Great! I get to go be with Jesus. I'm going to die in 50 years? Great! I get to live life now with Jesus. He says the present or the future. We know what our, our future holds. It belongs to us. The ultimate tyrannies of human existence have been defeated, and they've been subjugated under Jesus. His death and resurrection marks this turning of the ages in such a way that, listen, it's all yours. And I mean, above all that, Paul ends by saying, and you are Christ's. Like, you belong to him. So boast in that. So notice that all of these divisions and all of this fighting and all of this strife and all of this jealousy that was going on in the Corinthian church and that goes on in our churches since Corinth onwards, 
are often related to these two things. We try to have wisdom according to the world, and we try and live in God's kingdom. We try and do both, and so we deceive ourselves, and then we boast about the wisdom that we have. So listen, some of us in this room, some of you here are thinking that you can be wise in God's eyes and you can be wise in the world's eyes. That it, you have this idea that, yeah, I can come to church, I can believe in, in Jesus, I can do my Christian thing, all the while living according to the world's wisdom. And I, I just need to tell you, you, you can't. You are deceiving yourselves. And so maybe this morning, part of our uh, response is to just repent of boasting in our own wisdom, right? Paul says, if you actually want to be wise in God's eyes, what does it mean? It means becoming a fool so that you may become wise. So maybe this morning it's just saying, God, I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm just going to look like a fool, but according to Paul, that's, that's how you actually attain wisdom, um, James 4 tells us that God actually opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so maybe part of our response is that we would just humble ourselves and receive grace from God. That's what true wisdom looks like. True wisdom, what Paul has taught us for three chapters, true wisdom is being a citizen of the age to come and boasting in the cross because you are Christ's. You belong to him. So let me pray for us. Um, Jesus, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that Paul, uh, guided by your spirit, just wrote this, this perfect summary at the end of chapter 3. And really so much of what was going wrong in the Corinthian church was related to them deceiving themselves and then boasting about it. And we're no different, God. Um, so many of our issues, uh, even just personally, but even as a church, and our boasting, and our division, and our, our strife, and our jealousy is because we're trying to be wise in your eyes and the world's eyes. And it's impossible. We will either be wise in the world's eyes and a fool in yours, or we'll be wise in your eyes, God, and we'll look like a fool to the world. And I think what your word is stressing is that it is far better to be wise in your eyes, God, and to look like a fool. So God, I just pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us when we... Uh, deceive ourselves into thinking that we can be wise in both. Forgive us when we've compromised what it means to be in your kingdom by trying to fit in with the world. And then, God, forgive us when we then boast about our wisdom. Um, God, I, I just pray for all of us. I pray for myself that we would become fools so that we can become wise. That we would just look at the way that the world defines wisdom and we would go, I just don't want anything to do with that. Right? If I believe in Jesus, I have been transferred into his kingdom. I'm a citizen of the age to come. And so now I'm going to live like that in this present evil age. And yes, I will stick out like a sore thumb. But that is wisdom in God's eyes. 
So only you, Father, can do that work in our hearts. Um, I, I pray that we wouldn't leave just trying to muster up something on our own, but that we would leave with just repentant hearts, humble attitudes, because, God, your word says that you give grace to the humble, that we would just humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness and that we would repent and turn to you and that you would pour out your grace on us. So, again, just thank you for your word and our time together in it. And would you just do your work in our hearts through your spirit. And we just pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.